Yeah. Damn. It didn't feel like an hour. I know. It was good. Well, fire away whenever you're ready. I'm just, I'm just chilling. Welcome into the film room. This is the Titans Film Room Podcast. I'm Justin Graver, and I'm joined as always by James Esparza. Today's show is an in-depth interview with Buck Rising of A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports Nashville.com, at Buck Rising on Twitter, of the 615 Sessions Podcast. He's got a show coming to A to Z Sports September 3rd. So stick around. We're diving into Buck's transition to A to Z Sports. We're talking about the nonsense with the national media. We're talking about what it takes to get a story out of the Titans headquarters. We're covering Buck's fandom and the difference between how you can cover this team as a fan, like us, and how you can cover this team as an objective media member like Buck, and why the difference is important. We're also talking about what Buck's seen at practice from Art Smith. We're also talking about Mike Vrabel, Marcus Mariota, lots about Marcus Mariota, probably too much about Marcus Mariota, but it's a great interview with Buck. I'm sure you guys are going to want to hear what he has to say about all these things. So without further ado, we are going to start this podcast. Okay, let's welcome in our guest, Buck Rising from A to Z Sports Nashville and his podcast, The 615 Sessions, has been kind enough to join us this evening. Buck, how are you doing? Good all, boys. Appreciate you guys having me. Uh, Justin has been a guest of mine before, so I'm happy to do a little home and home here. Oh, yes. I love the, uh, that, that, what is it? The, the relationship building, right? <laughs> the relationship building. It's mostly people working for me for free to make sure that I get content. But, you know, we'll, we'll take whatever we can get with it. If it's relationship building, fine. I think you're, the guest list you, that you're able to get is really, really impressive. If you guys haven't checked out 615 Sessions, search it anywhere you get your podcasts. And it's really great insight into lots of things, not just Titans related. But, I don't know, it's great to get your, your insight from all the different guests you're able to get. Well, it's delightful that you think so because I'm wildly unprepared for every podcast I do, and I just kind of rely on my friends who are kind enough to stop by uh, to to be the uh, to be the hashtag content to pretty well carry me, and I just kind of you know facilitate the conversation. So if it sounds insightful, then that's you know that's bonus points. We'll take that. <laughs> I think it's the I think it's the voice. It's literally all it is. Honest to God, it's the only reason I have a job. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, whatever works, go go for it. So you moved from A to Z from e- you moved to A to Z from ESPN. How did that how did that come about? What was the anything behind the scenes that you're allowed to tell us about how that transition came about? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Um, so Austin and Zach A, a to Z here uh, locally in Nashville. They used to work for the ESPN radio affiliate in Nashville that I worked for, and I was working midnight to 6 a.m. at the radio station when I first got here and before those guys left to start their own thing. So I had known them for a little while. They'd been doing uh, the, the live streaming Facebook Live and Periscope show for three years before they hired me away in April. And honestly, it was it's a, it's a variety of things. I, uh, I wasn't happy with how I was being handled. 
at the radio station. I love radio. It's my favorite thing in the world, if I'm being honest. And I'll be back on the radio here in Nashville uh, with 104.5 The Zone starting in September on a regular basis. So I look forward to doing that. But I just I didn't like how I was being handled. I didn't like the uh, I didn't like how I, I guess I didn't like how management was treating my 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 Titans content as opposed to the the hockey stuff that they have and that's totally understandable on their end because they are the the, the predators flagship network and so if you're getting a paycheck from the team that's typically the way those things go so it was right. just uh it, we we left on good good terms when i quit um and went to work for a to z before the draft i still have great relationships with everybody over there but it just i didn't feel like i was i was being given enough uh enough support for my stuff. And so I went to A to Z and they have literally given me nothing, but I have total creative control over all of my stuff. My version of their Periscope and Facebook live show will start on September 3rd. So I'm looking forward to that. And honestly, it's, it's, it's getting a jump on what at least I feel like and what they feel like is the next step in our industry. I mean, it's a really, really difficult thing to stay ahead of the, to stay ahead of the trends with media being as fluid as it is. I mean, you guys, Music City Miracles, uh, Justin, you, you over at Titans Film Room, you guys are emblematic of how many different avenues you can provide content from without doing it through traditional media. And honestly, the radio is a damn dinosaur. Like yeah. at some point, that's just going to die. And so I'm, looking, <laughs> so I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, well, I haven't listened to terrestrial radio probably since I was old enough uh, since, since podcasts were really a thing in like the mid 2000s when I was still still in high school and just starting to drive, I'm I'm 26. I don't know many people my age that listen to terrestrial radio. It's all done through podcasts, and podcasts are way more fun media, or not not way more fun, but it's a it's it's a better medium for me because, as you mentioned, I like to have those long form conversations. I like to talk more about uh, more I, I like to do things like play my titans looks like game with john robinson which was actually terrifying in the moment and thank god he said he was cool with it before we started that interview because otherwise that would have been a disaster for my career but i like to talk to Corey davis about the game of thrones i like to talk right. about to Jayon brown about what kind of shoes he's rocking these days and podcasts allow me a little more freelance to do that so no no uh, no ill will it's a long way of saying no ill will between me and uh, the local ESPN radio affiliate here, but it just, it was a, it was a difference in how I thought I should be handled versus how they were handling me. <laughs> right. So now you have to think of two captions for every practice video you tweet, right? <laughs> oh, it's infuriating because I, I, I understand so little about the internet and Austin and Zach and, and the team over at A to Z, they're so much better at it, at it than really anybody that we have here locally in the market. So now I have to be creative on social media, which as you guys know, in terms of my creativity and my ability to adapt to changing technology, I'm pissed for at. So it's been a, a legitimate learning curve for me as I try and stumble my way around here on the internet, but it's been fun so far and I need to learn how to do it eventually. So why not now? Uh, what kind of rapport do you need to build with certain people in the building if you're going to get anywhere with uh, getting news from the Titans? Like, is in terms certain... of breaking news? Yeah. Like, uh, do you have to? Is it just some random like strength training coach or like an assistant 
or do you try to go to the media manager or I'm not going to ask you to like out your sources, but is it, do you have to get in like on a lower level or do you, how does that work? I mean, so, so in terms of, in terms of the process of reporting, if we're going to get into like, you know, the, the ins and outs of journalism, uh, I mean, you start anywhere that you, that you start in any profession. Of course you start at the bottom. Um, so in my case, I was, I, mean, I, I wasn't even going to do this for a living, honestly. And to be totally transparent with you, like I wasn't that big a sports fan. I just happen to have a voice that sounds good on the radio. And my buddies used to give me shit about it and said, Hey, you ought to try radio. So I did it. And here we are. Uh, it was, I, I was a poli sci major, so I had to kind of learn this stuff on the fly. And my experience probably wouldn't be the same as, as Kaharski's or Joe Rexroad or, or the other media members who do this kind of stuff with the Titans. Um, but for me, it was just kind of feeling my way out. And when I first started going to practice, because uh, we didn't have anybody at the radio station, we didn't have anybody covering the Titans on a daily basis. Uh, the, the, local, the local NFL team was, was without a, a regular presence for the station. Um, and so that was just an opportunity that was created for me. So I was working midnight to 6 a.m. my first year. I was going to practice at 10 a.m. I was wandering through a locker room of professional athletes that I had no business being around, and they could smell the fear on my 23-year-old ass. And I, it took about three days before God bless Brett Kern. I'm, I'm, I'm unabashedly a Brett Kern homer, and I think most people would forgive me for that. But Brett Kern came up to me after three days of me looking uh, scared and totally lost, and said, hey, bud, do you need somebody to talk to? And I said, yes, please, Mr. Punter. I would very much enjoy that. Uh, and so it just kind of starts there, right? You know, you, you, try, and, you try and approach these people, uh, coaches, athletes, uh, whomever that you're trying to learn more about, and then as a result, share with your audience more about. You, you just try to treat them like, like everyday people. Like I love – like in the same way that the podcast conversations go, it's just a, it's just in terms of building relationships and, and building trust. And then if people trust you enough to give you tidbits, then that's entirely their prerogative. And I know a lot of people approach it more aggressively than I might. Um, I'm not your traditional news breaking beat writer. That's really not what my lane has been through three years covering the team. But I mean, occasionally I'll get some stuff that way. And, and perhaps I should, I probably should be more aggressive about it. I'm sure my bosses would appreciate it, but most of the time it's just letting people get comfortable with you and then trying to not put them in a position uh, to where they, you know, they are, they are endangering their jobs as a result. Like it's a really, really difficult. It's a really difficult thing to balance because of course you want to be out there first with the Taylor Lewan. PED suspension. Like I knew about that about two weeks before it broke and I just couldn't get a third source on it. And you know, it's, it's, it's retrospect and nobody gives a shit about that, but you want to do it the right way. You don't want to burn anybody and you want to make sure that everybody who is willing to talk to you about that kind of stuff is protected. Um, Cause that's, that's what you're trying to do at the end of the day. You're trying to make sure that the people who are willing to give you the information know that they are secure when they are giving you that information and it's just a matter of being a decent human half the time which a lot of times i struggle with but in that particular respect i've been okay it's interesting that you bring up 
that, Taylor, the one thing, because I was going to say I knew that you caught wind of it. I had heard that you caught wind of it early, and it's interesting that it didn't break until Taylor knew it was going to be broken by the national media. But on the subject of leaking out information and teams leaking out information, I sometimes wonder how much the Titans strategically do leak certain amounts of information. But that said, in relation to your last podcast, when you had Steve Lehman on and you guys ranked the ridiculous or the likelihood of the ridiculous rumors that are flying around the national media about the Titans. And since your podcast, there's even been more crazy like national media. I don't know what to call it. Disrespect, I guess. But like, for example, so there's the three things that you guys talked about, which was Vrabel being reportedly on the hot seat, Delaney Walker being a cut candidate, and the, the obvious one, which is the open, quote-unquote, open quarterback competition. But then Fox misspelled Mariota's last name on their graphic uh, this in the game this past weekend between the Seahawks and the Vikings. They, sp- they put two T's in Mariota. Um, Chris Sims show. Well, listen, you can't even get your damn commissioner to say his name right when he's drafted. I think we're all just kind of punning on that at this point. Yeah. I, I, oh, for sure. I just, um, and then even tonight there was a new thing. They didn't have Nashville marked correctly on a map <laughs> on Fox in, ten, in really recording Thursday yeah. night's game. So what do you, do you think that any of this nonsense could possibly be driven by intentional leaks to, throw people off? Do you think that's something that the Titans actually do? Or do you think all of this is just lazy coverage by national people? Uh, I mean, it can be both things, right? Um, Honestly, to their credit, and this has been the case even before Vrabel got hired uh, heading into last season, they are a really, really buttoned up organization. Like there's a reason that we don't know anything about Harold Landry, even though he's missed, we haven't seen him at practice since August 15th that he didn't play against the Patriots. And I mean, I not without having any actual information on it, I think it's a reasonable expectation that you won't see him on Sunday night against the Steelers. Um, they, they keep things tight and it's not just them that do this, right? It's, it's, so let's, let's go back to week 17. It's one of my favorite examples because it's mm-hmm. the biggest one that we've had here. Um, when the, the entire week leading up, to the, 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 the win and end week 17, you're playing the Colts here in Nashville, Nissan stadium. It's arguably one of the biggest, most impactful regular season games that the franchise has had. And then we're hearing locally all week long, no matter who you talk to, it would be at Travis Haney when he was with the athletic here uh, myself to Ron Davenport of ESPN, all of us were being told publicly and a little bit privately. Yeah. He's going to play Marcus Mariota in week 17, and then it leaks to Chris Mortensen at like 6 a.m. on game day that he's, scratched, he's going to be scratched and then it's going to be Gabbard. Um, and teams do that. They'll, they'll, they'll feed things to local people to kind of keep things calm, and then rather than deal with more attention than they want to deal with in the week leading up, they'll leak it to a national reporter, and then the bomb drops, and they, you know, you get it over with. It's it's a big deal in the moment, but then it's over um, that same day. It's it's a tactic that's not uncommon, and it's why I was looking at the Benjamin Albright thing and thinking, okay, there's probably what whatever Benjamin Albright is. And I, to, to be honest, this is the first time. It, meaning meaning truly, no disrespect to Benjamin, I I didn't know who he was 
before all of this, you know, your have your GMs and coaches stop calling me right. and telling well, me that Ryan Tannehill is, is better than, than Marcus Mariota. Something interesting, sorry to cut you off, but Albright is actually the guy who said, and this might have been two years ago or maybe it was only one year ago, but he's the one who said of all the teams out there, the Titans are the most notoriously tight-lipped or something. Like he's the one that started that whole thing like on Twitter in amongst Titans fans. So he has, he may or may not have some connection or some disdain for his connection with the Titans anyway, but sorry, go ahead. Well, to, to, to that whole thing. So this all starts, I think with the, the kind of string of, uh, of controversy, if you want to call it, it starts with Diana Rossini going on NFL live and saying she's hearing from sources in Tennessee that it's an open competition. And Diana is somebody who, you know, you don't necessarily have to see Diana Rossini at practice to know that Diana's got sources with the Titans. This is how these national people get to the positions that they're in because they have sources across the league. Diana is somebody who I trust, and Diana did it the right way just because people don't want to hear that necessarily doesn't make the information she's getting untrue. Now, where this kind of mutates, for lack of a better term, is people like Benjamin Albright getting in Twitter spats and then tweeting out that, you know, have your GMs and coaches stop calling me and then deleting the tweet like a coward. Like it was really, really done in poor form by Benjamin Albright and then really not related to the, or the Delaney Walker cut piece by Bleacher Report and then for the win having Mike Brabel on the, on the hot seat, uh, for lack of a better term. Like that, those are just, those are examples of clickbait new media that we all have to kind of, you, you just got to have a good enough filter to know where the information is coming from. Um, so it's varying degrees. But from, from our perspective, you know, and I, I don't, I, I don't want to make this like a, a you people type situation, but you guys are Titans fans. The predominant, uh, the predominant audience that we're speaking to, obviously, are Titans fans. There's only so much that people are going, it, unless you know how this business works, and that's not meant to, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not meaning to talk down to people. But unless you know the intricacies of how reporting is done and who has actual sources and, and who you should trust and this, that, and the other, it's difficult to kind of parse or separate between those four individual instances. And then it all kind of gets, gets lumped together and it creates this shitstorm uh, to where local Titans media are almost having to say, well, no, fake news at national NFL media when it's really – it's really varying degrees and it makes it really difficult and nobody gives a damn about nuance or these kind of things on the internet. And so you just got to continue on and, and know that it'll blow over in a week and know what is legitimate, what is not. And at the end of the day, all of us who are there on a daily basis, and I, listen, I would not put myself out there after the week 17 thing. If I didn't know this to be so they're going to give Marcus Mariota every chance to start and to play out this entire year. They're paying him 20 and a half million dollars. Like, that's the way that these things work. Tannehill is literally just a really good insurance policy. And honestly, you got to be damn grateful to have both of them because it's a really good situation that John puts you in as a fan base. But uh, it, does, it, does make for, it does make our job harder when we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot as a profession when you're having to fight off what is and what is, is not legitimate. So – as we had on musiccitymiracles.com recently, buy local when it comes to your Titans media, right? 
we're gonna take a very quick break and we'll be right back. back from break um buck i actually kind of wanted to continue from where we left off because you were talking about that week 17 uh kind of leaking to local media that marquez was going to play and then it just comes out with national media that he wasn't um i have a buddy that we were talking we were actually arguing about it um and i was starting to get mad about it he seems absolutely convinced that the titans are leaking information to the national media that there is a quarterback like they're trying to light a fire under Marcus, basically saying that there's a quarterback controversy um, so that he plays a little bit harder, thinking that Tannehill's coming for his job. Um, do you think there's any validity to that or is that just complete conspiracy theory, tinfoil hat? You know, it's not, it's not, it's certainly not the most far-fetched thing that I've heard uh, with all, with all the, the, the Titans conspiracy theories that seem to have sprouted wings over the past couple weeks. But and and I could be, you know, I could be totally wrong because this is only I've only worked with Mike Vrabel and this staff for a for one full year and now, you know, through a training camp. So there is still a lot that we have to learn about each other. But I look at this and I look at I look at that staff and John Robinson and who Marcus is as a person. And his, and his kind of approach and his style. And I don't necessarily think you get to a guy like Marcus that way. Like, I think you just kind of let him, and again, this is from my, this is from my, this is my opinion. I don't know whether that's what they're trying to do or not. I would be, I would lean no, just based on the, on the, the reasons that I just gave, but I don't know that for a fact. So we can, we can continue to let that, float around for a little bit if you guys want to. Um, I just don't think, I don't think that that's, that's, that's their MO as a, as a staff. I think they, they want to get the best out of everybody. I, Brable, to his credit, whatever, whatever Mike is, he gives everybody a legitimate even playing field um, to try and compete. Now, Marcus and Tannehill are a different situation, and Tannehill told us after the game in the locker room uh, on Saturday that starting over Marcus isn't an option. <laughs> like this isn't yeah. this isn't what he was brought here to do, and he just kind of killed that thing in its crib off the bat. Um, he didn't need to do that, and so that's why I kind of I kind of look at that and see. Well, no, this is not what they're being told internally, because Tannehill. If Tannehill wanted to be petty, he could have let that fester and say, well, you know, that's, that's really not my place to discuss. Or he could have been a little more coy about it. And instead he was definitive and said, you know, no, this is, this is my role here. Um, I understand the opportunity that these guys have given me uh, for potential future opportunity, be it here or elsewhere. We don't know what the quarterback situation is going to look like at the end of the year. Um, and I, I, think they, I think they legitimately intend to stick to that plan because everything that John has done in putting together this year's team has indicated that. So um, it's a little bit, a little bit tinfoil hat, but <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe I'm letting my interactions with these guys on a daily basis color my opinion, but I, you know, I guess that's why you're talking to me. That's pretty much what I said, but a lot angrier. Um, 
<laughs> it, it, it's just that they, everything that they do, uh, it doesn't seem that they would do something like that. Um, and I, when I told him, you know, Marcus isn't that kind of quarterback, he immediately said, well, I don't want that guy as my quarterback. Um, so kind of going into, you know, Marcus as, as a quarterback, um, would you say that you have an unbiased opinion you're not a fan of the Titans being uh, someone who covers them? Oh, God, no. No, I'm not a fan. Uh, I, <laughs> I'm not, would I, it I really, be so bad? <laughs> would it be bad for me to be a fan? Just well, hell yeah. Just to be a fan for once. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Yes, it would actually. No, that, that to me is the worst thing in the world. And, and it's, you know, that's not, I, I don't want to sit here and, and dump on fans because, like, what you guys do is great. And what uh, my buddies at the, at the F words pod do are great. Like I enjoy that element of it, but, and we all, listen, we all have biases. Like there is nobody who is truly uh, to their core objective. Everybody feels a certain way about somebody and it's going to color how you approach that. That's just the nature of being human. Um, and so I can not be a fan of the Tennessee Titans, but still root for the people who I know to be good and decent humans to have success. Like it's, it's differentiating between those two things. I want to see Marcus Mariota do well uh, because I think he deserves that opportunity. I think he really, really does work hard. And I think he gets a bad rap um, because of the situation that he was kind of dropped into. Like this is, this is not easy. What, what has been done over the past, what is it? Four years. Uh, with John Robinson and Marcus Mariota and and now Mike Brabel and Mike Malarkey. Like, this is this has been a pretty quick turnaround as far as NFL teams go. And wh whatever happens with Marcus, I hope Titans fans do appreciate that. But if I go in there on a daily basis and I'm fan fanboying in the locker room um, outside of Brett Kern, because I'm a Brett Kern fan, I'd, I'd wear that T-shirt proudly, <laughs> I – I just, I think it makes me, I think it would make me lesser in my job. I think it would do the same for, for Kaharski. I think it would do the same for Rex Road. Like we don't have, I mean, there are people who are Titans fans in the, in the national media. Like that's, that's, that's the situation. And I won't name names because that's not, that's not fair to them. But I think you can pretty well identify who those people are based on the coverage. And, and like Jimmy Wyatt is a different thing. And I love Jimmy to death but Jimmy's a team employee. Like he's collecting a paycheck from an NFL team. It's going to change how Wyatt goes about his job. I think that's, while I know that there's a place for that and I know that there's a much bigger audience for that because everybody wants to read good stuff about their team. I don't think, I, I think it hamstrings how people, how people view it. And I think it makes, I just don't think it makes fans smarter. And that's all I want is smarter football conversation. I want people to be realistic. And, I want, and, and you know, that's, that's a, it's a totally romanticized opinion of how football coverage and the interaction with, with the people that we deliver that coverage to should exist. Um, but I just, I just want people to be realistic and, and, not, and not, not let their, their fandom cloud what the actual facts are and I think that fan reporting really kind of makes that that water murkier so to me it would be it would be legitimately like I would hate I would I would not do my job 
if I was a fan of a team. I, I the only the only team that I still give a shit about is Indiana basketball, and even that I'm a little bit jaded of because I'm not you know I don't live in Indiana anymore. Nobody in Nashville gives a shit about college basketball. So this is this is just kind of I don't really have a sports fandom thing to cling to, but at the same time. I, I do think that for me, at least personally, like I have, I have a little bit of, I, I can sometimes be unrelatable in that regard, which is something that has been pointed out to me by many bosses and many people in my Twitter mentions. Um, and so I think it is, it is good to remember what that fan feeling is, but also to be cognizant to separate yourself from it and to still deliver the information as you see, as you see it. So, so kind of, yeah, go ahead, James. I was going to say, kind of segueing into that, um, someone who is a non-fan but still works with Marcus, would you say that this team is for real with Marcus at the helm? Uh, <laughs> the question of for real is, is so, is so, yeah. yeah. I guess, I guess if I can, if I can, answer your question with another question. What is, what is your definition of for real? Is it, is it playoffs? Is it Super Bowl contender? Is it AFC title? What, what is, what is for real? How about this? Uh, let's, what do you think happens with Mariota after the season? That would tell us if you think he's for real. I think if he plays well, I think he gets tagged. Uh, I don't, I don't think as we sit here today and based on the conversations that I've had, uh, I think I think there's really there's really a very slim chance that he comes out of this year with a with a full on extension. I, I know they love him. I know he loves Vrabel. Uh, I and I think that relationship has really been beneficial to both of them because Marcus can kind of let Mike be more of the front facing personality of the team in a way that he's not necessarily comfortable being, and that's fine. You know, there there are cultural things associated with that. And, and, you know, you have to take all of these things into account when you're looking at Marcus Mariota. But I really don't think there's a situation where he comes out of it, even if he plays, uh, say, above average starting NFL quarterback, where he comes out of it with an extension. I really think that they want to see more of him past this year if there is something more to be seen. I, th- I think the franchise tag is the way that they want to go. I think that makes sense, too, because you haven't really seen any kind of consistency as far as starting 16 games a season. So if he does do really well this season, franchise tagging him would be the best thing to do. And if you get another year out of him, then give him that extension. Yeah. And, and you have to, you have to, you have to consider the human element of, of all of this, right? You, it may Marcus on, and listen, we, I work, I've worked with Marcus at, at least, you know, on the days that we get to talk to Marcus, we get him once a week. And it's been once a week over the course of three seasons now. But I still know precious little about Marcus Mariota in terms of how he feels internally. So if he gets hit with a franchise tag, he may not necessarily take that in the best way. I, I know that he, publicly or not, was a little hurt when he didn't get the, when he didn't get the extension uh, coming into the fifth-year option because that's pretty well the case for quarterbacks. And I think, you know, he, whether your agents or your representatives or your girlfriend or whatever the case may be are telling you, yes, you deserve this money, and then you don't get that money, uh, it, it can, again, affect you as it would any human. I heard uh, that too. So, so yeah, keep yeah. going. 
Yeah, it's it's a real it's a real thing. And so I think that the money has to be right on both sides. Now, obviously, the team retains control in, in the NFL with the franchise tag in a way that no other sport does. That's why the NBA can, you know, you can literally have an entire landscape change in one offseason there, whereas the teams in the NFL, they just simply, they have, they have, they, the, the players need a better collective bargaining agreement is what they need. But the, free, the, the franchise tag helps keep the team uh, more, what, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it helps them, helps them keep things together for longer at their own whim. Now it can it can piss players off as we saw with Kirk Cousins, and Kirk yeah. Cousins, by all accounts, seems to be almost as nice a guy as Marcus Mariota. So I don't know how that affects him internally, but I think that's just going to be the situation. And hopefully he's understanding. But just as I'm talking about fans being unrealistic, sometimes professional athletes can be unrealistic too. Hello, Antonio yeah, Brown. Or later. Oh God, I wish that was. I wish he was here. Oh. No, 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 no. I was such a big proponent of not having Antonio Brown. But I think with Mariota, I mean, regardless of what he shows you, if you're a starting quarterback in the NFL for one of these 32 teams, you have some form of an ego. And whether or not he wears it on his sleeve, I almost guarantee he has an ego. He's just smartly. Well, yeah. Right. You have to listen. You have to have ego to do what I do. And that's yeah. uh, this is the lowest level of the entertainment ladder, okay? Is local sports uh, sports talk professional, and you you still have to be able to think that what you're saying people are going to give a shit about. Like we all have ego if we want to succeed in our job, and when when you are literally a competitionaholic, as guys are at the professional level and even at the college level, of course there's ego associated with your ability. Yeah. So. I want to talk a little bit about um, a slightly different topic, but sort of related to what you said about Vrabel and Mariota. Something that I've noticed this offseason that I haven't really picked up on in past offseasons is lots of different players at totally different random like interviews or appearances or radio spots or whatever it is are talking about how they feel sort of empowered to hold their teammates accountable. And specifically, I've heard Taylor Lewan, I think, said it on his own podcast, Bussin' with the Boys. I heard Logan Ryan, Kenny Vaccaro, and Kevin Byard have all said something similar in different little interviews. And then I think this week, Marcus Mariota talked about how he is starting to feel more comfortable or something that the biggest area of growth for him since last season or whatever was that he feels more comfortable holding people accountable. And I know one of the first things that Vrabel started talking about or that was one of like his repetitive sayings when he first got hired last year was about holding people accountable and how as a player, he always held his own teammates accountable. Is that something that you've noticed at all? Or do you, do you think that the Vrabel effect of this accountability thing is going to be a big factor in terms of going from good to great? Good to great. I, I, literally, I've been waiting for somebody to say good to great. So good to great! great. <laughs> oh, God, if I have one more person tell me good to great, I'm probably going to drink myself into a... Yeah, that and for the boy. Listen, I've been on that damn bus. And if I, that, that it, it's still ringing in my ears, Compton, and congratulations to Will for getting a job finally. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's... Mike... Mike permeates 
everything that that team does. He is just such a, I mean, he's an outsized human and he's an outsized personality. And what I remember last year, and I don't have the specific quote from him. I wish I did, but he was kind of talking about how he was there to counter Marcus, what Marcus lacks in, in being overtly vocal Mike was there to make up for. But I don't think that Mike wants that to be like a thing where he has to carry that all the time. I think he wants to do what he feels is necessary to make these guys feel empowered. Uh, because at the end of the day, Mike doesn't go in the locker room. Like he, you can say players coach all you want. Mike doesn't physically go in the locker room. It's why he doesn't like us in the locker room because that's the player's space. That's how he treated it when he was a player. And so he lets them police themselves in their, in their own environment. And I think it's a really, really good thing. It's why, it's why you get guys like, and I know Logan Ryan was here before Mike got here, and Lawan was here before Mike got, got here, and, and Bayard was here before Mike got here. But John has been really good at, at, at identifying those guys in particular, guys that you know you can rely on who will handle their, their position rooms and hold them accountable and then uh, transfer those lessons uh, from from the veterans to the younger players. I mean, the, the, there's no literally no better group uh, that you can cite for evidence than than the defensive backs. Logan totally changed the way that that group operates. The the, the I mean, it literal it might have been the worst position group on the team when I first got here. I think Bleedy Ray, Ray Wilson was still a cornerback uh, whom there's a, there was a bunch of them that just God awful cornerbacks and all very Who'd you say? Uh, oh my God. PW web. Uh, I've almost yeah. blacked them out from memory because the, the defensive back play was so poor. Um, and so they signed Logan to a big money deal for a corner and you all, and everybody, everybody, uh, nobody is worth those second contracts hardly, but you're paying, on the back end for what the player gave you on the front end. That's just kind of the way that you have to look at these things. Uh, but Logan is worth every bit, uh, every dollar in terms of how he handles that room. And he's, he's taught Bayard how to Bayard who already possesses these kind of traits. He's taught Kevin how to kind of take that mantle onto himself to where Logan doesn't have to do it all the time. Logan can continue to help these guys shape their game and to grow. And they're always after practice working together. And they're about as tight knit a unit as you'll find really across any football team. Um, but they, they identify players like Logan and wake who is the consummate professional um, and guys that you can trust to handle their own shit so that you don't necessarily have to police all of those things on your own. And I think Mike, that's the overlying theme above all else, above the fundamentals of teaching football, because he does, he's, he's a, he likes to teach football. It's one of the most admirable, th- admirable things about him. You know, even though people just laugh at the chest pad thing when, when Jarrell Casey and Daquan Jones are beating the shit out of him. <laughs> uh, he, he likes, he likes the process of teaching and he likes to see those lessons taken to heart by the players and then translated to the rest of the team. I think that's something that when you look at all the teams in the NFL on paper, and obviously I don't follow any other team's training camps, so I don't know how many other great coaches are applying these types of lessons and culture things that are 
boosting their teams more than we can know. But it's something that you can't measure when you just try to stack up these teams and look at the schedule and stuff. And I think it's an important factor that that could help this team that I, I think gets overlooked pretty often when you usually just talk about the players on the field. Yeah. Oh, I mean, of course it does. I, listen, football, football, from my perspective, just having, you know, having done this for a couple of years now, football, I think, is the sport that we as consumers of it feel like we understand the most, but actually get the least from how all of these things work at a fundamental level. And so it's very easy to overlook those kind of things. But I, as much as I hate the cliches that football teams and coaches and players traffic in, I mean, this is literally the definition of culture that you're finding. It's just, you know, how do you define culture rather than just saying, oh, well, this is the locker room culture or that is the locker room culture. So it's actually examining the sociology of locker room culture and how each locker room handles it differently. Sounds like a great book. I think we're Listen, if anybody gave, if anybody gave a shit enough to read a book about the Tennessee Titans, I'd write it about last season. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it'd sell. I think we as Titan fans still owe Mike Malarkey a lot of uh, gratitude for starting this culture, and Mike Vrabel built upon it. That's true. Yeah, I, I listen, Malarkey, Mike. I only only dealt with Mike my first year um, before that's that, and that was a, that was a weird year in itself with the playoff game and him saying that he doesn't feel like he has support from ownership and and then not willing to fire Terry at the end and that ultimately costing the entire staff not not that wasn't the only reason but it ended up being one of the reasons why it cost that entire staff their jobs uh, but Malarkey they loved it Delaney Walker still talks about how he loves Mike Malarkey, but he loves Mike Vrabel too um, and again. John John was hired after Mike Malarkey, but they worked well in concert together until they didn't, and then you have to reevaluate. That's that's John's job. That's why you hired him to be in the position that he's in. And then he goes out and finds Frable, which is even a, a better mesh because Mike is somebody who is who is obviously in his first NFL head coaching gig. He's still somebody who you're able to mold, but also has the ability to think differently from what your traditional coach might be. I mean, Mike Brabel, to his credit, is one of the smartest individuals in football that I've ever had a conversation with. And he's a lot more – I mean, I, I joke about, about meathead rage with Mike Brabel a lot, but Mike, Mike legitimately has depth to him in a way that I respect a great deal. And Malarkey, Malarkey kind of started that, but Malarkey was a little, Malarkey was a little more, uh, to be cliché, well, just a little more old school and a little more set in his ways because that, that at that point had been his third NFL head coaching gig. And as just as we were talking about egos with the players, mm-hmm. nobody gets a third job in the right. NFL. So if you do get a third job, you're probably thinking, okay, this is how I know this needs to be done, especially in my third go at this thing. You're not going to tell me otherwise. Right. But there's also that definition of insanity where this time it'll work for sure. And it didn't. <laughs> So, yeah, no question. Switching tracks a little bit, but also just kind of speaking about different coaches and different philosophies and things like that. As you are out there observing practice every day, and thank you for the, for that, by the way, I know it's super hot in Nashville, so thanks for your service on that front. 
But anyway. Yeah, Marcus asked us if we were staying cool the other day as if we were the ones who were physically uncomfortable out there. <laughs> that was funny. Um, but observing practice, to you, what's the biggest difference that you've noticed in the change from Matt LaFleur to new offensive coordinator Arthur Smith? Uh, you know, it's because there's certain things that we're allowed to report on and not report on because of the nature of, of when practices are, are closed to, uh, to the public. And uh, again, that's, nobody cares about that, but it just kind of affects how I'm going to have to answer this question. Right. Not schematic. The biggest thing though. As a style, coaching style, you know. Arthur's louder. Arthur is a lot louder. Arthur is very, very demonstrative in a way that, you know, I, I liked Matt. I, I thought Matt had good ideas. I also thought Matt was very comfortable. To, and, and, again, it may be because of the limitations that they had at quarterback last year, and that is not something that we can totally discount. I, I think, again, Matt LaFleur got a little harsher rap with uh, Titans fans by the end of it than he deserved um, because of everything that went down last year. Arthur, though, is like you really do see what the players are talking about with Arthur when there's no ego associated with it, when it's everybody gets coached the same, everybody gets treated the same, and he's not afraid to let you know when you're bullshitting and then to go and take you to task for it, but he'll do it from the lowliest undrafted free agent to, you know, the highest paid NFL or formerly highest paid NFL left tackle. That, that there was in the history of the sport. Um, he treats all of these guys equally, and he does so in a way that I think I think is more – it vibes better with Rabel's style. Like it's a more not, – not to say that Matt wasn't hands-on, um, but Arthur's just more hands-on. On, and we – you know, it's fun to listen to Arthur talking to these guys and coaching them up because I feel like I'm learning something rather than LaFleur, where I'm, I'm hearing how long these damn play calls are, and I'm saying, there's no way in hell that they could possibly understand all that. I'm sitting here just kind of listening to it, and I'm not having to, you know, I'm not having to put the pieces in place with the, with the play call that it's associated with. Like, this is a whole – it's just it's, – it's a less complex, more base form of coaching that I think players respond to uh, well. And that I think over the course of Arthur's career – we know that players respond well to him. And so now it's just us visibly seeing it more um, rather than, you know, I, n none of us were really paying that close attention to the tight end individual drills outside of taking Bigfoot videos of Delaney Walker for social media purposes. Right. Um, is it, is there, there's this rumor or something or story that I heard that Vrabel once told LaFleur to shut the fuck up or something like that. Do you know about this? Uh, I, I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> it was probably the eyebrows. The eyebrows. I thought <laughs> I thought LaFleur always I would like feel frustrated with his play calling in game or something and then listen to him talk in a video on Titans Online after practice and be just like sucked right back in. I thought he always worded the, the way he talked about the offense and offense in general and putting players in a position to succeed and being aggressive and can't dink and dunk your way down the field and all these things I feel like he always said the right thing but then he never put that kind of stuff into practice so i'm hoping that art smith that the biggest change will be art smith 
being more aggressive, not trying to dink and dunk the way down the field, and not trying to put players like Luke Stalker in a position to not succeed where he gets a fourth and one first career carry of his life. So things like that. That's what I'll be looking for. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know what Arthur's going to look like in real time, right? It's just the same way that I didn't know what Matt was going to look like in real time. And once, once they started calling plays, I mean, this is a first, it's a first year gig or it was a first year gig for Matt and now a first year gig for Arthur. Like these things are, are totally fluid in the same way that we talk about human uh, emotion, ego, with things like contract and how, how players respond to certain things in locker room culture. I mean, this is the same. You don't know what the hell you're going to do when you're, when you're in a pressure situation in a game and you have to figure out how to dial up something correctly. It, it's yeah, a lot of it's luck, a lot of it's bullshit, and a lot of it's, you know, the preparation. So um, Arthur, Arthur wouldn't have made it this long through this many coaching staffs if he didn't know what the hell he was doing and if people didn't trust him. But outside of that, I don't have a body of work to work off of because they're not showing anything in the preseason um, on offense or defense. And so it's just kind of a crapshoot as to what it's going to look like in Cleveland. I just hope there's not as many first down runs. Yeah, or and second and ten runs. Um, do you think that – My life is a second and ten run, honest to God. <laughs> this team. Do, you, do you think that the biggest question mark heading into 2019 for the Titans is – Art Smith's, like, what do you think has the will have the biggest impact on the Titans' ability to be a playoff team? Is it Art Smith succeeding as a play caller? Is it Mariota stepping up and proving he's a franchise quarterback? Is it the defense proving that they can get pressure on opposing quarterbacks? Is it the right guard position? What do you think, in your opinion, is the biggest question mark? Hmm... Well, you don't, you don't, you're not terribly comfortable with the pass rush, especially because we don't know what's going on with Harold. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's going to come down to Marcus. You know, that's the easy, that's the easy answer, and it's just a matter of whether the the consistency that they continue to cite is a legitimate thing. If that's real, then fantastic. And you know, I thought it's always hard to diagnose what you're seeing in the preseason because there's only, there's only so many snaps the starters take obviously. And again, it's not, they're not showing anything in great detail. It's just very base concepts that they're running, but there was to me a noticeable difference and Blake Bettingfield, when I was listening to him on midday with, with Paul Hutton and Chad, uh, earlier in the week confirmed what I was seeing, which I always like, you know, I always like being told that I'm right. Same. Uh, he looked more comfortable out there with what he was being asked to do. Now, again, that's a preseason game where the difference is one series versus three. And you don't know how much you can legitimately take from that. But I do notice him playing. I do notice him practicing better um, in a way that I've been kind of looking for. Now it's not, it's not marked improvement, but it's just little things that you notice where it's, you can tell that he's more relaxed. Um, And that's the whole objective of this. How can you get him as comfortable as humanly possible to where he doesn't have to overthink things or he's not being, or he's not feeling like he's relying on himself at the end of games to kind of pull 
the thing out at the end where he's fumbling all over himself against the Jets because he's trying to scramble for 25 yards. And somehow, I don't know how the hell he came up with that fumble. I that still remember looking at that play. Like, what, the, what, what just happened in front of me? And in the press box, we don't have replay. So it's just like, I, I don't I don't know. Uh, replay doesn't but, help. You still can't tell what the heck happened. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, so, yes, it's, at the end of the day, it's, it's the quarterback. It's always the quarterback, and it's everything to do with the quarterback because this is literally what their season hinges upon. Uh, now, they've done a good job to hedge their bets with Tannehill um, because they are, you know, Marcus, Marcus is the better player, I would say, overall. But the, the drop-off is much, much less significant, obviously, than it has been in years past. And they do have redundancies in skill set to where you can feel comfortable if Ryan has to play and Marcus, whatever, whatever may happen to Marcus, you know, for, for his sake, I hope nothing. Um, but you do, you do have to, you do have to kind of prepare yourself for what may go down. Um, so that's a long way of saying it's the quarterback. And if you can't, if you can't see any substantial development out of him this year, then you're just kind of, you, you got to look at blowing it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, not necessarily. Um, just because of the team that John Robinson has been building, I feel like we would just be a quarterback away. And I mean, hey, do you think- listen, I, I appreciate that logic. It ain't as simple as a quarterback away, brother. Yeah, that's true. I'll give you that. Yeah. There's yeah. plenty of franchises who have been a quarterback away for a very, very long time and may yeah. still be a quarterback away for a very, very long time. I want to believe. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I just I just want you guys to be realistic so it doesn't look like I'm saying I told you so at the end of the year. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. As a fan, I feel like we always take the optimistic side because that's what we hope for. So we just, at least me personally, I'm naturally inclined to be more optimistic. Meanwhile, James on this sure. very podcast has predicted that Mariota won't be a Titan next year. So who the hell knows what's going to happen? <laughs> I think I think until we get a full season, I can only assume that the worst is going to happen. And I don't want it to happen, but just given history, I'm assuming something's going to happen. And at some point, Tannehill might be starting. I, you know, I mean, I look at it and it's it's a flawed way to do the analysis, I guess. And it's something that I struggle with professionally. You know, don't, I don't want I don't want to harp so much on the bad while not pointing out what they're doing well. Like I feel like I have a tendency to, you know, pick apart the issues that they have when every I mean every football team has issues and it's not fair of of me. Again, it's, it comes down to that bias. It's just kind of the way I approach things, right? I'm I'm a little a little more sarcastic than I should be and I try I try to keep things in my in my terms, level-headed, but I you know I don't take into consideration, or I do take into in consideration the positive, but I don't highlight it as often as I should. So there are, listen, you are given everything that's gone on over the past couple of years, you're really in as about a good as good a position as you could be for what you're paying Marcus right now for where everybody is contractually, um, to where you can still have a good mix of top-end talent and young depth behind them that you feel like has promise, like you're really in a good spot. Um, but 
you know, things happen. Delaney Walker snaps his ankle in, in the first game of the season, and it's also the longest game in the history of football ever played. And Taylor gets concussed, and Marcus gets a nerve injury, and, and, and so on and so forth. Like these things, you know, football is the most unpredictable sport we have. Uh, and so you try to analyze. I, Taylor Lewan gave me the best quote, um, and not just me. There was there was a scrum around him, but no, no, it was it was. <laughs> well, he's actually tweeting me right now because I sent him something nasty about him and him and uh, Will Compton being uh, <laughs> being Jack and Rose in, in the Titanic, and so now he's after me on Twitter uh, as we sit here taping this. <laughs> uh, but Taylor said, and I'm paraphrasing again. I don't have the exact quote, but. It's it's it was football is is the endless pursuit of perfection of something that you know cannot be perfected. Like that's just it's 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 an oxymoron the sport that they play. And you know you have to you have to take all of that in consideration. And it's why I hate previews and record predictions because you don't know what the hell's going to happen next week. I don't know what the hell's going to happen next week. Oh it's yeah, it's totally changed the tenor of the season in literally one single play. I think it's just ridiculous yeah. to try and go through a schedule and predict wins and losses because you have, I mean, who would have predicted last season that the Titans would lose to the Bills and then come back and beat the Cowboys and beat the Patriots and beat the Eagles? It's just, you always have wins you're not going to expect, and you always have losses that bewilder you too. So, That's why I don't do it? I don't like being wrong. It's <laughs> the only reason I hate mock drafts. Especially the early. Well, I hate mock drafts for a variety of reasons, and then I borderline, <laughs> I borderline did one this year because the uh, the the draft network put out that godforsaken simulator that I had ten of, like a heroin addict. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were all in that draft simulator. It was pretty fun. All righty. Well, we have taken up plenty of your time this evening, and we really, really appreciate you being here for this long, answering all our questions and stuff. You guys be sure to follow Buck Rising on Twitter at Buck Rising. Check out A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports.com. Is that right? A to Z Sports Nashville.com. I still okay. have to correct myself with that on occasion. But yeah, the, the, the Facebook Live Periscope show, A to Z Sports Primetime with myself at 8 p.m. Sunday to Thursday. I'm going to be able to have instant reaction for you guys directly after every Titans game. So. That will start on September the 3rd, and the podcast comes out twice a week. Uh, today, it is Jason Fitz of ESPN. It is Imani Hooker and Dane Cruikshank. So all of those will be available to you as soon as you rate, review, and subscribe. That's right. I look forward to it. Cool. Well, let's, that'll do it, I think. I'll do it. We'll do an outro thing later. <laughs> all right. Good shit, boys. I appreciate you. We appreciate you, man. Thanks so much. Thanks again, Buck. All right, take care. I'll uh, just let me know when it's out there, and I'll make sure I, I share it. Okay, cool. We'll tag you and everything. Appreciate it. All right, see you guys. Thanks. Have a good one. See you.